This is On The Grid, powered by theracetalk.com on mypodcasthouse.com. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid here on mypodcasthouse.com or on the Radio Show Limited's RS1. Thank you so much for joining us. Big show coming up today. Uh, we're going to talk very shortly with Richard Crowell and Mark Walker and discuss a few things that have been happening in the world of motorsport, but also talk about our favourite locations to watch motorsport from. That's right. Not actually our favourite tracks, but our favourite locations on those tracks, or other tracks it might be, where we believe is the best place to watch motorsport. We'd love your uh, input to that as well. We'll tell you how very shortly. First of all, though, the news and Team Sydney have locked in its Bathurst 1000 drivers. Team owner John O'Webb will team up with lead primary driver Fabian Coulthard and Dylan O'Keefe will partner Gary Jacobson. Now, the race will mark John O'Webb's 16th consecutive great race. It also marks O'Keefe's second Bathurst 1000 after finishing 11th alongside Andre Heimgartner at Kelly Grove Racing last year. This leaves only two seats remaining now for the Bathurst 1000 grid. Matt Stone Racing yet to confirm their drivers with Jake Kostecki and Zane Goddard waiting to find out who their co-drivers will be. The most recent Victorian lockdown is of major concern for supercars as the revised schedule kicks off with back-to-back rounds in Victoria in early October and as we go to air here in this podcast Victoria has just received another seven days of lockdown extending it into the middle of next week so the 19th of August is the cutoff day there at one point on Saturday 10 out of the 11 supercar teams were in lockdown until regional Victoria's lockdown ended on Tuesday and southeast Queensland's ended on Sunday However, quarantine regulations will still be in place for now for Queensland teams who return after travelling to Victoria after the state was reclassified as a hotspot by Queensland. The battle to hold the majority share in supercars is also down to two contenders, according to multiple sources. ARG and Mark Scaife, partnered with TLA Worldwide Partnership, are, the, are set to battle it out. Uh, it's believed that they had to match the desired asking price of Archer Capital, understood to be around about $60 million. IMG, the France family who owns NASCAR and the consortium consisting of Peter Adderton and others, have all dropped out. From here, approval is now needed for the supercar teams, who should uh, we should know the new owners uh, by the time of the great race at Bathurst. And Cam Waters also has signed on to race in the GT World Challenge Australia. The Tickford driver will drive a Porsche for Dutton EMA Motorsport for the remainder of the 2021 season, ahead of a full campaign next year. The fourth round of the Australian GT season set to commence at Sandown September 17th. We'll also have a chat a little bit later on with Richard and Mark about uh, Red Bull staying on as a sponsor of Triple Eight Racing in Supercars. Fantastic news announced this week. Formula One news and Formula One is continuing to recover strongly from the pandemic based on strong revenue numbers. Liberty Media posted its second quarter results showing nearly a 2,000% increase on last year's numbers from the competition. The revenue for the Formula One group is currently $501 million in comparison to this time last year, which was $24 million. This was largely due to there being seven races during the second quarter of this year in comparison to there being none. Last year, and the newly introduced Miami Grand Prix is set to have an early debut next year. Formula One's CEO Stefano Domincelli said, We can confirm that the much anticipated Miami Grand Prix will happen 
in the first half of May. Formula One are hoping to release a full provisional calendar for 2022 by September or October, expecting the Australian Grand Prix to be race three in that calendar to be run in April. MotoGP news and Jorge Martin has won the Styrian Grand Prix in MotoGP's return race. After the six-week break, the win marks the first for both Martin and Parmac Racing in MotoGP. There was an awful clash early between Danny Pedrosa and Lorenzo Savadori. Uh, it was revealed afterwards that Savadori suffered a broken arm, meaning he'll likely miss at least the next MotoGP. He underwent successful surgery, and the team hopes he'll be back in time to race at Silverstone at the end of the month. Pedrosa recovered well enough to ride and finish in 10th. The crash between the two meant there was a race restart, and Martin managed to hold off reigning champion Johan Murr to win by one and a half seconds. Fabio Quadrero routed out the podium a further eight seconds back. The race also saw Australian Jack Miller crash out only third of the way through the race he was battling it out at the uh, top before he crashed out after going too hard in to turn seven after this weekend's results Quadraro has extended his lead over Johan Zarco to 40 points in other MotoGP news Valentino Rossi has finally endured the rumor mill oh sorry has ended the rumor mill by confirming his retirement from racing in MotoGP uh, I said that during the season uh I take my decision for uh, for next year uh, after the, the summer break, and uh, I decided to stop at the end uh, at the end of the season. So, uh, unfortunately, this will be the last uh, half season as a MotoGP rider, and uh, it's difficult. It's a very very sad moment because. Uh, um, it's difficult to, to, to say and to know that uh, uh, next year uh, I, will, I will not race with the motorcycle. That is, uh, I do this thing, uh, this thing for, I think, more or less 30 years. <laughs> so uh, next year my, my life will, uh, will change after some, uh, some point of view. And, uh, but anyway, it was, uh, was great. I enjoy, I enjoy very much. It's, uh, it's a long, long uh, journey and uh, was uh, really, really funny. The 42-year-old has 115 race wins and nine world titles, seven of which are in MotoGP. The Italian will go down as one of the greatest riders in the competition's history. However, he is not done racing altogether. What's next? Uh, like I always said, uh, I, I love to race with the cars. Uh, just a little bit less than race with the motorcycle. So I think I will race with the, with the cars from, from next year. Rossi has also denied rumours that he is selling his team to the Saudi Arabian prince who has an apparent sponsorship deal with uh, Rossi, although there has been some scepticism surrounding that deal. A report of fever around about 150 million euros or nearly 240 million Australian dollars. Rossi, after practice for the Grand Prix on Friday, said it is absolutely not true that we want to sell VR46 to the Saudis. This is just made-up news. We don't even think about it. I should have done that in my Valentino Rossi voice, but I didn't. And finally, in IndyCar, the IndyCar news is that Marcus Ericsson has won the inaugural Big Machine Music City Grand Prix in Nashville. Ericsson recovered from an incident that sent him airborne and crashing into the ground. Luckily for him, it only did minimal damage to his front wing. 
In second was Scott Dixon. And third, James Hinchcliffe. Former supercar driver Scotty McLaughlin struggled after making contact numerous times with other drivers. He finished 13 laps off the winner. The next race taking place August 14 at the Indiana Motor Speedway. That's the news. Here's the show. This is On The Grid on mypodcasthouse.com. All right, let's say good day to my co-host, Richard Corral. Hello, Corralzi. Hello, Shebexter. How on earth are you on this uh, this week? I'm probably week exactly number 14,627. Yes, I'm probably pandemic. exactly the same as the man that I'm also just about to introduce as well, who is in lockdown with me down here in Victoria, both from the racetalk.com. Mark Walker, hello. Shebexter, Corralzi, well. We had some good practice of this lockdown stuff, Shebex. So I'm getting used to it. I'm really, really starting to sort out my groove. So your warm up, you got your little warm up lockdown yeah, out of the yeah. way, and then you've plunged into the fully fledged one. It's good, sensational. Hmm. Yeah, but we we've had even I've had even more practice than you. You were a you were a Brisbane person last year, so you didn't oh. get to have the 101 days. Man, I've I've forgotten what door handles taste like now. <laughs> Oh, goodness me. Uh, it continues, and Sydney gets worse and all that sort of stuff, and calendars are still being played around with. And tell you what, boys, there seems to be a bit of a storm brewing up over Mount Panorama. You know how each uh, Bathurst 1000 day we say it's going to rain? It's coming soon. Well, it definitely is very shortly going to drop everything on Mount Panorama with uh, the people, of course, involved with Challenge Bathurst really peeved about this new date for the Bathurst 1000, which makes a packed month for the mountain in November. Yeah, it's going to be the busiest month in Bathurst's history, assuming it all gets off the ground and by November there's 80% vaccination so we can actually go and do things. But, um, yeah, look, it's interesting. There's two ways to look at it, and you can understand one event that's had a a long-term booking and they announced their date the week after last year's Challenge Bathurst event, which, which... was able to happen throughout the pandemic. Um, you can understand some angst about about having another major event dropped in your window. And, and what people don't think about these events is that they take more than just the event period to build. Even at Bathurst, even though it's a permanent circuit, there's so much else that goes into um, the setup and the, the build of the facility to accommodate everything at the 1,000. And then you replicate that the other side, tearing it all down. So the, the problem is the 1000 is scheduled to be the weekend before Challenge Bathurst. Challenge Bathurst starts on Wednesday, essentially with bumping of something like 290 cars wow. who run this the two-day super sprint event. And then there's a, a further 250 cars that rock up on the weekend for the regularity. Um, the problem is, is that Wednesday, the place is still a construction site. Marquees will be tearing down. Of course, we're making assumptions that they'll be paying spectators at yeah. the Bathurst 1000, of course. So that's that's what the stress is. But on the flip side, you have to go, well, look, it's exceptional circumstances. This is the world we live in at the moment where events can change dates, change format, change structure in with five minutes notice. You're going to have to adapt, deal with it, find a way around it. And hopefully there's some uh, coordination between the varying promoters um, to, to work this out. And then, of course, you've got Bathurst International a couple of weeks after. And let's be honest, of the three events, that one's the most likely to run with a crowd because it's the furthest away at the moment. So by the end of November, all the predictions are saying by the start of the month that 
we're going to be near a vaccination rate where they can start letting people move around if you've got the jab and things like that. So Bathurst International is probably the most likely because it's scheduled for the last weekend in the month. So it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, it's a massive challenge. But then again, that's the world we live in at the moment, unfortunately. Yeah, and Krause hit it on the, hail, on the head there, Mark. In an ideal world, supercars don't want to run the Bathurst 1000 in the first week of November. They want it back in the first week of December. But what choice do they have? Well, they don't have a whole lot of choice. But, you know, sitting here now, where are we? 10th of 11th of August. You know, the, the situation in New South Wales has been bubbling on since the middle of June and it just keeps getting worse. And, you know, running the assumption that, hey, we're going to get the vax rates up to 80% and then we're going to be open and all good to go and all the state borders are going to be open. I, I don't know. It's a long way away and a lot of things can change and happen. But, you know, supercars being the professional circus in inverted commas, they can afford to go and put everyone in quarantine at Howard Springs for a couple of weeks like they did for half the field last year. So I can't see either of these other events going to those sort of extent to draw people across state borders to make them happen. But uh, who who knows? It's such a long way off and everything can change between now and then. Yeah, very, very true. Uh, Speaking of a long way off, not a long way off, we would think is the new ownership deal for supercars. Hopefully that'll get wrapped up in the next couple of months. And a good friend of the program, Bruce Newton, of course, uh, has Throwing another bitter into the uh, the whole scenario, News Corp, who of course fam- famously brought out uh, so many teams in rugby league all those years ago and started that uh, that Super League era. Uh, looks like they could also put their uh, bid up for supercars, which makes sense because they are the owners of Foxtel, aren't they? Yep, they are. Um, yeah, gee, Super League worked out well, didn't it? That was a good outcome for rugby. It gave um, it gave the world the Melbourne Storm. So it it only thing. it only set league back about three decades in their battle with the AFL. So yeah, yeah. It's look, it's an interesting one. Um, it feels like a it's being linked to the widely publicised Adderton, Alan Gow, um, Morris group that that's been part of this as well. So. Um, that's really interesting. Why, why they buy it through the Brisbane Broncos, I'm not entirely sure. I, I don't understand the business sense behind the Broncos and NRL team buying supercars. There's definitely a crossover in fan base between league especially and supercar racing or motorsport in general. But um, why the Broncos would want to take the risk in owning a professional motor racing championship when the finances of professional sports clubs in this country aren't particularly healthy at the moment as it is i'm not completely undersure it could just be a a front for news corp anyway but yeah look it's an interesting one but all the world words that that people in the industry are getting is that 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 side of the bid is still a a hail mary and that the tla scafe led bid is still absolutely the most favored one to get over the line because it's probably going to be the best deal from a team's perspective moving forward so yeah, interesting. I saw an article, a quote saying that um, Roland Dane was the point man for the teams. I think it was in Bruce's article uh, on auto action. Um, and I'm surprised that more people haven't blown up about that because anytime you get mentioned that Roland Dane's leading the charge about something, um, half the fan base blows up about the fact that he's taking over the sport and the other half blow up about the fact that he isn't. So it's um, 
yeah, just more ammunition to get people fired up from what I can see. And I mean, money talks, doesn't it? I mean, at the end of the day, they're trying to recoup their losses on this investment. It's an investment vehicle that is trying to sell their share and they'll be trying to get top dollar if the Brisbane Broncos come through with $100 million and gazump everyone. They're going to wind up owning it, aren't they? I'm very uh, much looking yeah. forward to the special. Do you think? But no, like if they smash I, a, a, a bit out of the park. But that it, in, in this day and age, though, I can't see a business offering a bid that's no, substantially no. higher than everyone else because that's just bad business. But you, and, you look at the, the people involved there, Adderton, Smith, they, they got the cash to chuck it whatever they want. If they yeah. want to burn cash and if it's but just the, such a big ego trip that they want to own the, the series, then... But the process is set up and the fact the team still own 35% of the sport, the process of the whole bid structure and the way it's been managed by Miles Advisory Partners is is that there's an element in there which can mitigate those kind of crazy bids as well and work out what's actually best for the current shareholders. So you, so, so you still have to show a concern. You still yeah. have to show a genuine concern for the category and moving forward. And and I think forgotten that part of this is that Archer, right? It, it, they own a majority. It's sixty percent or just under, I think. But the team still own thirty five percent of the sport, so they've still got a big say. So the deal has to be good for them as well. Yes, Archer want to get out. Yes, they're not going to profit out of it because they're going to lose an enormous amount of money on what they initially paid. But they're closing up their fund anyway, so they're they're shutting up shop. So the deal has to deliver a return to everybody, but it's still got to be good for the stakeholders that are going to move forward with it as well. And that, that will be taken into the process uh, of the bid. So um, all those factors will be, will be brought into it, which is why people like Tim Miles and his company get paid an enormous amount of money to be the middleman between that. So the, the Archer can't just see an enormous sum and go, Oh, we're taking that. See you later. We're out the door. So there's a bit of rationality into it amongst the way that, that the whole process is managed, which is um, really interests me from the business side of it. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting though. Uh, looking forward to the special stage of the uh, QR event next year at uh, Suncorp Stadium. <laughs> well, Supercars jumping over <laughs> dirt and all that sort of stuff. Crazy things have happened, Shebexter. <laughs> like they have the the uh, international race of champions happens in the stadium. So yeah, it does. Yeah, they build a uh, Speedway Grand Prix track in Marvel in Melbourne. So there you, you know, just never know. Oh, look, you could have a street circuit. I used to live next door to Lang Park back in back in the day when I wasn't allowed to park there on event nights. It was a really handy place to live, really. Mm. But you could have a street circuit going past the Forex Brewery. Think oh, about yeah. that. It'd be like Bogan Christmas. You could have the <laughs> charter flights in there from Bali. You could get all the crowd involved and it'll be well catered and you'd be able to pack a lot of people into Suncorp. I live in Altona North in Melbourne. I uh, have a street, You've got a street circuit, circuit as well. front of my door. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just past the old Toyota factory. <laughs> yes, exactly. Actually, they've got a test track in the back of that old, mm-hmm. old Toyota factory at Altona North. Mm-hmm. And sometimes right. you do hear some very exciting noises coming from there. I'm sure I heard. A something that must have been very reminiscent of a Formula One car a few years back. It back, was with back a when Australia was had a car industry. Yeah, it, it was oh, the latest. Know. It was the latest Camry taxi pack. It probably could have been. <laughs> exactly. Hey, you mentioned Roland Dane. He'll be uh, chomping at the bit uh, because uh, Red Bull have extended their sponsorship with Triple mm. uh, Eight. Fantastic news for them and the sport as well. Yeah, I, I think 
your latter points, the most important ones, Shebex. And time and time again, you get people banging on about the fact, oh, the sport's broken, it's dead, oh, yeah, it's going to die in six months, blah, 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 blah. But you've got Red Bull, who are a serious, serious company in sports marketing. Like they, Their entire marketing strategy pretty much is through their sports investment. Yeah. Um, re-upping with it. And if they thought, whether irrespective of Triple Eight, if they thought that supercars wasn't a good avenue for them, they wouldn't spend money on it. Simple as that. So clearly it works for them. Well done to Tommy Wilson and the, the commercial team there at T8 for getting the job done, obviously, because they remain the benchmark team for bringing those blue chip sponsors into the, the game and continuing to do that. So it's great. But it goes back to this the sales story as well. Like News Corp are an enormous global company they're not going to sniff around supercars if it's not worth something to them and they don't think they can profit off it at some point. And Red Bull's exactly the same. The whole reason they sponsor Triple Eight is to sell more cans of Red Bull. So it gives you confidence in the sport, Chebex, that yeah. there's still significant value in it for brands like this to want to be getting involved, which is great. The brands monitor what their return of investment is. They know the media clippings, mm-hmm. the social clippings, all the stuff. And we keep banging on about it with this Triple Eight team that success breeds success, doesn't it? It's just this vicious cycle. They have the best people, they get the best results, they get the best money, and it just keeps going around and around in circles. And a part of that is that their marketing team, you look at their socials, you look at you know what they're able to get out there in the press, they absolutely dominate everyone. They're mm. just pros at what they do, and they just throw shade on everyone else at the moment in supercars as far as marketing. So, of course, they're going to get all the column inches and subsequently Red Bull's going to be happy about it. So, yeah, good on them. Yeah, very good on them. Uh, we should mention, too, that the Porsche Painter Dixon Carrera Cup Australia calendar has been revised in line with the new uh, V8 supercar calendar. And just a little bit confused, Richard, you might be able to help me out. I know that uh, there's four rounds remaining and three of those rounds will be at the Bathurst 1000 in November, the Bow Repair Sydney Super Night Race in November and the Gold Coast 500 in December, should those events still go ahead. But there's a TBA in October 2 to 3 in the calendar that I'm looking at, which is normally the, which is the Winton weekend for supercars. So are they not running at Winton or they just haven't mentioned Winton? Uh, Shebex, I would not have a clue. Hmm. There you go. Don't know. Good chat. Really good chat. Not sure. I would assume that we'd be going to Winton, but... Uh, I'm just the commentator, Shebeki. I have uh, no privileged information in that respect. And if I did, to be fair, I probably wouldn't. No, you you all know we would, but (laughs) we definitely would. Um, No, I'm not sure, mate. I I don't honestly don't know. But um, my my understanding is that the the series will be running with five rounds to go. So, uh, yeah, good question. Excellent. Mm. Good stuff. Uh, Boys, we're going to move on to a top five for this week and once again we'd love uh the acknowledgement and the uh also the the public out there to join us with their participation that's Mm. what i was looking for Mm -hmm. i just couldn't find it in my head uh late in the tuesday afternoon uh so we're going to talk today about the best places that we've watched motor racing from so not necessarily the best track because that's a, another top five in itself, and I think we may have even gone close to maybe doing that at some point. But the best places from a track or mm. from a circuit that we have watched motor racing from. Yeah. So 
a memory that sticks in your mind, um, something that you just remember as you sitting there watching a racing car do something going, hi, oh, this is great. This is really cool. It doesn't have to be a particularly good corner. It doesn't have to be a particularly good racetrack. Um, you might get your rocks off sitting at turn three at Queensland Raceway. I don't not know. A, not a bad turn, Rich. It's a, it is a pretty good corner to watch car racing. Absolutely. Um, so that's what it's about. It's about the personal um, connections that you make with watching car racing and what you've seen it. Now, I would be very surprised if we get some double ups here. So last week we did our top five um, motorsport bucket list events, didn't we? Yes. So, And we, out of 20, because Dale was with us last week, we had 18 different bucket list events, which I thought was an outstanding result. Fantastic. And there were quite a few more offered up by our friends listening uh, to the podcast via Radio Show Limited and through the Race Talk socials as well. So get involved. We want your feedback again. I would be very surprised if we don't end up with 15 different great places to watch car racing Ooh. or memorable moments out of this show. Okay. Surely. Surely. Because one or two of mine are very specific to me. So, yeah. We never talk about this stuff, do we? Just... No, and just I mean, nobody's going to believe us saying that, but we genuinely don't. No, we don't. We, we, I can tell you that our six hours before the podcast, it was oh, I wasn't even that shit. So I reckon it was about one o'clock this afternoon. It's, <laughs> Maybe it's now hours just then. before six, um, where we're trying to desperately come up with an idea because everyone's buggered off on holiday or don't want to talk in lockdown. So we try and come up with an idea for the show, and this was it. So. Um, I have a notepad document up on my screen that I, between writing press releases and editing videos, I've bashed out a few memories. And so, um, mm, so there's no, there's no bugger all preparation, which oh, is well, great. Let me I kick, think let it me kick it off. Okay. Let me kick it off. Now I've got four apologies to give. Apologies. Yep. Apologies for not being included in my top five. Those apologies. I was say, you, don't, you don't need to apologize to people before you insult them, Shebex. You just do it afterwards. <laughs> Well, I have four exclusions. Right. Then. Uh, turns one, turn four, the Hayshed and Lukey Heights, all at Phillip Island. Okay. Amazing places to watch mm-hmm. motor racing, watching cars and bikes go their absolute full pelt with just a little lift off at turn one is just breathtaking. Turn four, the redu- reduction of speed from coming through that straight down through turn three and then hitting the brakes and getting to that hairpin is amazing to watch. The hay shed, that little kink that uh, can sometimes trip up cars, and then Lukey Heights, just that movement through there. Fantastic. So apologies to all those four places at Phillip Island, all at the one track. Number five for me is turn nine at the Gold Coast and watching it from the balcony of the Speed Cafe house when they started in 2009, which just happened to be 20 metres back, and being able to see Jamie Winkup bounce off the walls with just two laps to go on that turn was amazing. Uh, that was a pretty good vantage point to watch. So is turn nine the back chicane or the back corner? No, after, the, after the back chicane, it's uh, yep, what used to Fal- be known Falcon as Falcon Bend yep. or whatever it was, Falcon okay. Turn or whatever it was, yeah. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's an amazing place right there. It was on the outside of the track watching the cars turn into turn nine and to see uh yeah wink up hit the walls with the number one car at that point in time that was uh, not bad at all yeah okay i like it i like it i i've just while you were just before you talked i've actually made a change to mine because i thought of oh you i thought of 
I thought of a new number one. Ironically, it's not. Ooh. It's not something you mentioned. Don't get me wrong. I can't believe that I didn't actually think of it earlier today. But that's my bad. Um, I, I had quite a few honourable mentions, and I tried in that it was about thirty. Um, but I, I whittled them down to a couple. Like you, the hay shed is magnificent. That's a great bit of road. Um, turn eleven, Albert Park, drivers left. So oh, yeah, you cross yeah, the pontoon, yeah. wander up that left-hand corner. That is the best corner in the Southern Hemisphere to watch a wings and slicks car. Yeah. Um, because a Formula One car goes through there at speeds that it shouldn't go through a corner that on paper looks that tight. Awesome to watch. I saw Michael Schumacher. I think you were there, Mark. We were sitting on the mm. hill. It was just starting to rain. Michael Schumacher in the Mercedes passed somebody around the outside of that corner. That was 2010. Where it was. That was epic. Um, that's an amazing joint to watch car racing up on that hill there as well. Um, the start line of any top fuel race anywhere in the world. Um, yeah. Do it. Epic. Epic. Unbelievable. Um, I, I, I argued with myself for hours about putting this in my fire, but ultimately I bumped it out. Um, but the Bathurst 1000 start from, again, from anywhere, but mm. ideally pit straight because it's a cauldron. It's like a stadium with pit straight lined with people. It's just electric. And that moment when 25, six supercars are crashing on the limiter about to launch for the biggest race of the year, that's ace. And then the other honorable mention I've got is um, ground level drivers, right? The entry to maggots corner at Silverstone. Mm. So they come out of the hill out of, um, out of cops. They rise up a hill. It's a noticeable rise when you're standing down at ground level. Um, and I stood there walking out of the track on the driver's right as they turn in, watching an LMP1 car turn into yeah. there was special. Like that was seriously fast, really cool bit of road. And of course, all the history and all that adds to it. Um, so into my top five, and I had serious arguments with myself about this, but uh, I have watched lots of cars over a 18, no, 16 year period at this bit of road. And it remains the sketchiest bit of road I think in the country on a racetrack and this might be where I get in before Mark does, but I'm putting the beach chicane in my top five, the gold coast street circuit, because it is completely sketchy, um, flat out and blind on entry. There's way more camber on the road than you expect when you get mm. into it. So if you're standing on the inside of the racetrack and you cross the bridge over from McIntosh Island, um, you're looking down on the cars. And mm. back in the IndyCar days, you're standing above these cars that are smashing the curb like this. Um, supercars doing all sorts of crazy aero, bouncing stuff over the curbs. And then that exit where the margins between absolutely canoeing yourself into that fence on the outside or getting through uh, is so small. And most of the time, everyone's sideways. So I love it. It's a spectacular place to watch racing cars do their thing. And it is memorable every time you do it with whatever you see race there. So um, that squeaks into my top five. It was between that and the start of Bathurst, but um, I put that in because it's sketchy and it's the last bastion of looseness that we can enjoy on a straight circuit. Uh, you're lucky I didn't have that one, Rich. So uh, congratulations on that. Good. Excellent. Uh, so for my, I'll just take an average of your two uh, honourable apologies. Uh, number one, Senna Chicane. Uh, sketchy ass, especially qualifying through there. You mm. take some photos of the low reverse shot of qualifying when they smash over those curbs. You'd you fire off bang, bang, bang on the camera and it'll be 
no compression. Whoa, way too much compression. No compression. Amazing yep. photos through there. That's uh, where I got the photos of uh, Bridie when I thought he killed himself there yep. in 2014. That was... Uh, Not intentionally mine, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, mildly yep. frightening. That was... Uh, yeah. Well, that won me photo of the year, so that was good. Mm, Thank, thanks, Bridie. Cheers, bud. Um, and a bottle of Jim and a bottle of Jack Doug. Yeah, yeah I, I, had to bring my, yeah. I had to bring my own JD. That was yeah. well-sponsored. Thank you, mate. Uh, yeah, the 11-12 chicane at the Grand Prix... Uh, I'm with you there, Rich, except I've figured out over the years, after that 2010 when we stood there, stand a bit further down towards turn 13, like yeah. on the bend there. You can see them come through on the exit 12, and then mm-hmm. you've got big DRS zone down to 13. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd love to sit there the next time that we do wind up having a Grand Prix there because they'll be arriving there at absolute warp factor, a million, because yeah. there's no chicane prior to... Mm whatever they're going to be called now, 11 and 12. So I think that's yeah. going to be pretty grouse. And, and you can see the cars from a GA spot. You can see the cars for so long there. You can see them for like 11 or 12 seconds, which is something you just don't get at a street circuit. So I'm impressed with that. Um, turn one, Pukekohe. Oh, yes. That's uh, sketchy nice. as. Like there's yeah. some big bumps there. I remember I, I got a photo once of SVG from the inside on the horse track, uh, crossed up in the dirt on the inside of the corner somehow. Uh, mm. I don't know how that happened, but remember, Rich, when we saw those Sangong Utes, oh, yeah. <laughs> 16 wide barrel down in there. And... Yeah, we shook our heads and walked away and went to the pub, I think, from memory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we definitely went back inside because it's a mm. bit safer. So, yeah, turn one, Pukekohe, pretty special. Uh, Bathurst, I mean, you, you could have top five Bathurst corners, couldn't you, really? Um, uh, I remember back from the days when I used to do the data logging, there, there used to be two areas that would separate the AMs from the pros. It was the tree before Reed Park and over Skyline. Mm-hmm. And I'd have to give the, the honourable mention of Skyline because it's just so much commitment over there. If you're a pro, you can do it. If you're not, you can't. Uh, the imagery of the cars cresting with the sky in the background, all that, it's pretty grouse. Seen some big stacks there over the years. So um, pretty wild. So number five for mine. Should we have just extended it to a top 10? <laughs> we could Too late now. But too, no, late. No, it's too late. Uh Silverstone Grand Prix circuit. Uh, it's probably not the best corner. And it, I find this so difficult to do this top whatever on, on corners. It's That's too hard. But uh, number five, I put in Stowe at Silverstone, dating back to when I went there for the Grand Prix in 2013. Uh, I did up a big article on it on the race talk because it was just the most fantastic day out at a Grand Prix ever. Stayed 30 k's away, rode a push bike there, and... Uh, Followed some drunks through a forest somehow because I thought it was a shortcut. That was Robin uh, Hood. <laughs> it, it was, yeah, literally. It was madness. Uh, there was a bacon roll shop just inside the gate. The first person I saw, like I thought I had to chain my bike up. The first person I saw said, oh, you're going to enjoy riding your bike around today. I'm mm. like, oh, you beauty. <laughs> so like, I always like doing that, seeing tracks from as many different vantage points as possible. So went and saw the F3s at Brooklyn's, the F2s at Cops, the Super Cup at Maggots and Beckett's, and then we had the grandstand seats at um, Stowe. And 2013 British Grand Prix, you know, all the dates, all the years, they all sort of meld into one. But 2013 was the year that all the tyres exploded Mm -hmm. on the cars. There were six tyre blowouts, and they all happened on Hangar Straight right in front of us. So it was just the most ridiculous race. There were just marshals standing on the track the whole time, 
waiting for the next tyre to come through and explode so they could duck out and have an emu parade while the cars were on the other side of the circuit. It was just ridiculous. And my hot tip for rookie players, if you're going to go and spectate at a car race, if you're buying grandstand tickets for motor racing, get them up the back of the grandstand. Yep. You do not want to be sitting at the front of a grandstand at car racing. I was sitting in the back row there. It was sensational. The crowd went completely off chops every time Lewis drove past. He wound up nowhere in the race because he had a blowout. Mm. The, the crowd, every lap, they just, yeah, go, Lewis, go, you good thing. Uh, and then Weber was on a charge. I sat there completely silent the whole race long. <laughs> Two laps to go. Weber's coming through. He's up to second chasing down Rosberg. Go, Weber, go, you good thing. Everyone in the grandstand turned around and looked at me, thought I was a complete idiot. It was <laughs> sensational. So uh, <laughs> good day out. Oh, number five, Stowe at Silverstone. Did Rosberg yeah. win that race? Yep. Yeah, he did, didn't he? Alonso third. Mm, there mm. you go. I don't remember third. The bar- barbecue second. Yeah. Yep. Uh, number four for me is McPhillamy Park, Mount Panorama. And I love it there because you're watching the cars come out of Suleiman and then into the Dipper and just the, the total change of car and the change of attitude. Uh, those supercars just bouncing from left to right, millimetre perfection from the driver's to get that perfect line for perfect speed. Uh, yeah, it's where a supercar really, a supercar driver really earns their money. It's through that piece of road and why Mount Panorama is one of the greatest circuits in the world because you just shouldn't be able to do to cars what these guys do to cars through that area. It's just amazing to watch. Yeah, that left-hander, it's, that's a bonkers corner, isn't it? I agree with you completely. And, and you know what? They've fixed it up too over the years with the reshaping and the gravel trap. Yeah. Mm. Uh, with the most recent sort of – it's a real amphitheatre now. Yeah. Whereas in the past when the track, you know, you go back to the late 70s, early 80s when they had the big wad up there where the crowd came right up to the edge of the track, you just didn't have the same sight lines as you do mm. now. You have really yeah, good quite view high. up there. Yeah, mm. yeah it's great. Mm. I want them to open the new spectator walkway on the inside to stand. That'd be unbelievable. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, Speaking of left-handed corners, uh, at number four (laughs) for me comes a left-hand corner at a racetrack where they're all left-hand corners. Uh, It's turn one at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Uh, And this is a corner that factually cured my hangover. Uh, on Carb Day, uh, the morning of the 2016 and 100th running of the Indianapolis 500 mile race. Oh, that's right. We were there. We were, Shebex. Oh. Uh, and you hey, will hey. remember the, um, uh, we're going to work this in, Mark, to every single one of these we do somehow. Um, you will remember, Shebex, that we had um, we had a, a celebratory arrival party into Indianapolis yeah. on Thursday that stretched yeah. into the wee hours. And uh, there was, it was a, a beverage or three consumed. So we, we woke up. Slightly dusty the next morning. Yeah, you you sauntered off to the media centre because you got the one media pass we were allowed to get for that event. Um, our colleague Matt Nolte and I sauntered up to turn one and plonked ourselves down two rows back from the fence to watch the Carb Day opening practice session. Uh, five minutes into the session, we moved ourselves up to the back of the grandstand because sitting at the fence is freaking scary. Um, when an Indy car and the first car that came past was Elio Castroneves in the Pennzoil car, um, you look down the start finish line, the start finish straight, it's a mile long, 1.6 Ks, and you see them come out of turn four, and it doesn't look like they're moving. They're so far away, and there's a heat haze, and it just it, there's no sensation of speed right up to the point when they come to you, swing up a little bit high to the wall, and tip the car in without lifting. And they're doing that at 240 miles an hour. 
and it's utterly bonkers. Absolutely loved it. And then when you move up to the back of the grandstand or you get yourself up to level two, you can see 80% of the racetrack and it's a bloody long way around that place. Um, And you get from above, you get the things oversteering coming out of turn one. So they're drifting up to that outside wall on the short sheet and the things are sideways and you can see the opposite lock. Memorable, memorable place to watch racing cars and that will stick with me for a long time. Um, And we went in there feeling pretty dusty and after carb day practice um, felt pretty bloody good with life and then went and had some more beers watching the pit stop competition and the best indie lights race that's ever happened so yeah super really really cool place turn one ims yeah that was very predictable there richard i should have put money on you having that and i would have gone oh, I knew higher, it was be there. yeah mm. yeah i was surprised it wasn't higher actually complete aside i just finished that paul page book in two sittings last night yes so yeah it's, it's amazon still trying to get it to me and the reason it wasn't higher is because the three in front of it for mine are all very sort of sentimental personal yeah, ones okay. for mine. so yeah but uh, the, the paul page book fun fact on the side he has launched off five different aircraft carriers outstanding yep anyway that's a tidbit for you mm. uh my number four uh Oran park was just a cracker and Mm-hmm. It was properly old school circuit. Yeah. Now, you know, with Queensland Raceway, you can sit there in the, anywhere around the track and you can see the rest of it. it. That was pretty much the go at Oran Park. You could sit there and you could see everything, except it wasn't Queensland Raceway in front of you. It was this ridiculous old school track with elevation and consequences. And my favourite was the dog leg. I mean, how can you go past it? Yeah. Quick, quick right, left over the top there and, yeah, so many people got it wrong over the years, but it was just cool to see the cars get light. You get a bit of air under them and bash their under tray on the ripple strips and have sparks go everywhere. Um, I remember going around there when we used to do the Shannons there and I was looking after the Subarus and they just had an all-in passenger ride session at the end of the day. And we were thrown out there with the V8 touring cars mm. and we're there in our dirty old Subaru and we just gave these V8s all this curry over the dog leg. It was really, really good fun. Never forget that. I, I remember doing the data for a, another, I won't name his name, but uh, he, he's prominent. He's still around now, but uh, he was racing in one of the lesser categories back in the day. And his data was just the polar opposite of what the pole sitter's data was. Mm. When he was going fast, he was going slow. It was just the most ridiculous track because it had that flow about it that mm. You could go fast here, but then you're going to be slow at the next corner. And it was a really cool little but, thing. Um, yeah. The the taking photos on the exit of the final corner was sketchy as. Oh, yeah. The, uh, how good was that, though? The cars would come so close to that wall. Uh, I remember shooting a Formula 3 session there, and you're, you're on the wall and the roll hoop of an F3 car. If you're sitting on the ground, the roll hoop was at about your eye line. Mm. So, and they're coming past you maybe a meter away if that, like brushing the fence with their right side wheels. That's such a great place to watch racing cars. Yeah, it was gross. I mean, unpopular opinion. Uh, you know, everyone bangs on about the crowds at Oran Park were always huge. I don't think the spectator area was that massive. If you mm. got one of those big Oran Park crowds. Amphitheater. Threw, yeah, it was, it was awesome. Don't get me wrong. Like, it was always a fantastic atmosphere. But if you took that many people and plopped them down at Sydney Motorsport Park, it would look a quarter full, I reckon. If that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I only went to Oran Park once, and it was for the last V8 Supercar race meeting there, and I thought I was going to die. There was a 1,000 people in the media centre. Temperature was about 44 degrees outside. 
It was oppressive. Correct. Oh, that was horrible. Yeah. It was shocking. And I've never, ever had a good thing to say about a remark, having only been there once. And it's a shame because I know how great it must have been. The the Shannon's rounds were way better because there there would be like three or 4,000 punters there. So there'd be a vibe. There'd be a crowd on the hill, especially the ones in the early days we doubled up the super trucks. Mm. They were tremendous. So really, really good. The track would turn to rubbish after the trucks ran, but who cares? Um, They were good enough. There was a good crowd but not enough to cause traffic jams and ram the joint full. Um, but oh, that's a spectacular place to watch car racing. I do miss Oran Park. I remember leaving there on the Sunday thinking to myself, thank Christ they're pulling this joint down. <laughs> uh, see, yeah, that's, that's unfortunate because I know exactly. so it's much a more than that. Thing to have. Mm. Uh, mm. Number three for me, uh, I'm going back to Bathurst again. For an experience that I had watching the great race that I will probably – never ever have again and no one probably ever will either it was a promotion run by pepsi max in 2014 where they uploaded a table on a platform via a crane and you were effectively suspended 25 meters up in the air for a period of around about 30 minutes where you were sitting down at the table overlooking hell corner watching the cars come into that you're drinking pepsi Mac. they had food and everything as well, and you were harnessed in so you could actually get up from your seat at times. Not everyone could get up at the same time, otherwise we would have all tipped. And it was just an amazing place to watch Bathurst. Cars mm. coming out of Turn 1, heading up Mountain Straight, and you were suspended 25 metres in the air doing it. Yeah, I remember mm. that, 2014. Oh, what a race. <laughs> hasn't, it hasn't finished yet. <laughs> still, still get a nervous twitch thinking about that day. <laughs> uh, my number three is one very, very personal to me, and it, it is basically one of my earlier memories of watching car racing. And we went to the Australian Grand Prix at the World's Greatest Street Circuit Adelaide in 1991 as a family, uh, and we went on the Saturday and I was a little junior burger, loved my car racing. Um, and I we, we wandered around just the GA, GA areas, didn't have budget to buy grandstand tickets. So it was all GA. But the beauty of that place, and it, it remained so right through the Adelaide 500 era, probably a little bit less so towards the end there, but um, was that the GA areas were actually pretty good mm. for a street circuit. So you could get really good access, especially on the long track that ran up to, to Rundle Road. Um, to Jones Strait as it was, um, and then up to, to Kettleville Terrace and Brabham Strait. But I distinctly remember, it's one of my earliest real clear motor racing memories was we ended up finding ourselves with a clear spot of racetrack um, about 200 metres out from the hairpin at the end of the Brabham Strait on driver's right. So we're on the inside of the circuit, under the gum trees there in Victoria Park, basically. Um And I distinctly remember, and back then safety wasn't quite what it is these days. And you had the concrete barrier and then the gap, you could reach out over the spectator fence and touch the concrete barrier. So there was bugger all room between it. So you were properly close to these racing cars. And I distinctly remember as a a wee race fan um, standing there, literally at VMAX of the straight, right before they get on the brake. So you had the V12 Ferrari, the the V8 Cosworth powered cars and the Benettons V10 powered Williams and things like that. Um, The DFZs and even the 
uh, Lamborghini LaRousse, which was still the greatest sounding Formula <laughs> One car I've ever heard in my life. And that, that was the car. It was a purple Formula One car with a V12. What's not to love? And I distinctly remember those things, as rubbish as they were, being the car that dragged me in for that day. Um, so that was it. It's a straight, completely innocuous straight on a street circuit. But I remember how close it was. I remember the noise. I remember the feeling in your chest you get when those things went past and the smells and everything around it. That's why it's a special memory for me. So it's not something anyone will ever be able to go and experience again. Um, But that was pretty fundamental for my motor racing upbringing back in the day. Beautiful. Like it. Uh, Mm. This is another one that will never happen again. And I've actually just robbed the race talk of a story. So when I've half written it. So when it does finally get published, act surprised. surprised. (laughs) And click on the link, please. Uh, 2004, my old man was living down in Canberra and they had the Rally of Canberra, uh, which was the round before Queensland. It was a round of the Australian Rally Championship and the Asia Pacific Championship at the time. And I distinctly remember it cost me $60 to get return flights from Brisbane and on Virgin. I remember that still sticks with me. It was the year after the bushfires Mm -hmm. went through there and absolutely smashed the place. Like all the forest was burnt out. So it was the most surreal sort of a setting for this rally you could see the car start 10 k's away because there's no forest mm. and you see all these plumes of dust and it was so dusty i probably still got dust in that camera bag if i still got it in storage somewhere it was amazing um of course the mine shaft i mean that that's my number three you had to traipse out there into the, the back lots of the brindabella forest um get there hours beforehand now i'm I'm pretty risk averse. Like I don't like to put myself out there in the line and get hurt just to get a photo. But because I was a bit of a pleb at this Asia Pacific round, I was a level two or three FIA photographer. I had this plan that I was going to go and stand up the top of the mine shaft and get a photo of the cars launching off the top because the cars don't roll back up the hill, do they? No. So I thought that sounded pretty safe. So I've gotten there and the officials go, nah, mate, you're a, you're a pleb. You're down the bottom here. And down the bottom there was a concrete cage right at the bottom of the jump. And oh, okay. Yeah, righto. If you if you say so. And I'm sitting there in this cage and you look around and there's a headlight surrounded for Datsun 1600 and there's a wiper arm over here and there's a bit of a door handle over there all sort of caked into the mud. Oh, jeez. We're in a bit of strife here. This isn't much chop. But anyway, they, they started coming over. I remember the fourth car over was Chris Atkinson and Ben Atkinson. They were in the little Suzuki and that thing was just so angry. It was such a cool thing. Like you just didn't, you didn't back off. He was just pinned the whole way and just steering into the skid. So cool. And he, he got a bit of air over the top. Fifth car through was a bloke called Kevin Shaw in an Evo. And he forgot that the mine shaft was there and just oh. kept going. It just took <laughs> off. And I got three photos in. And I've run because he was going to land on my head. And he sort of landed on his nose and, and pulled over the side because he couldn't feel his legs, which wasn't ideal. So he's parked there. The Ambos had to turn up and carry him away. He was all right in the end. But the, the whole stage got downgraded from there. So it was a bit of a bummer. Make all this effort to go out to the mine shaft and you only see five cars go through there hard. But the good thing was those three photos, Auto Action gave me 20 bucks a photo. <laughs> paid for my holiday. How good's that? Mm. You've just reminded me, and I've got to add a notable uh, exemption because 
I, I can't even believe that I've forgotten about this. And I've got photos that I took from this event in Hamilton, the uh, World Rally Championship stage or stage or event in Hamilton when they were sharing an alternative years with Australia. And I went to one in Hamilton and it was just any farm paddock that was on the road for these cars and getting down close to the fence and getting shots and getting hit by stones and all that sort of stuff. Thank you for reminding me. I'm going to find these photos there somewhere. I was pretty proud of what Just I took. Just do it after a, the show, would you? An, an amateur. <laughs> uh, number two for me, and I really had trouble with number two and number one because there was about five different things that I still wanted to throw in. So I've actually grouped number two and number one under separate headings. So number two for me is the place I love to watch motor racing from is media centres. And these media centres in particular, the Australian Grand Prix 2011 is the only time that I've ever done it. And I've actually watched the start of a Grand Prix here in Melbourne from outside of a media centre. Normally I'm sort of doing some sort of commentary back to SEN or whatever that may be to do it. But this year, something else was on, it might have been football or something, and I didn't want to take the start. So I got to stand on the steps at the side of the pit lane building which a door from the media centre outside and you stand on the, on the steps which go down one floor, but there's a ledge there that you can watch. And the noise and the thunder of those 2.4-litre V8 engines at the start of that race, Vettel and Hamilton on the front row, Weber in P3, and the noise that those machines made revving up was amazing. The whole building shook, and I didn't have earplugs or headphones on. I just had fingers in my ear, <laughs> and I could still feel and hear every single vibration, and even talking about it now, still feel it. The other media centre that needs a mention is the Pagoda at the Indy 500 for pretty much the same reason. Standing in the building alone is a history lesson. It was built back in 1913. It's been in different guises since, but the Pagoda itself, first built in 1913. Gone through a lot of changes, as we said, but its current configuration is amazing because you've got 360-degree views of the entire track. You can effectively walk around 85% of it. The other 15% are glass windows for the actual media centre and the, the corporate levels above. It's above pit lane at the start-finish line. And once again, the thunderous roar of those Indy cars starting up on the rolling start and then hitting a speed when they hit mm. that line is just absolutely amazing. The other media centre... Of course, is Bathurst, which you mentioned, Richard, as well. The balcony there to witness the start of a, a, a 1,000 is amazing. Having said that, though, I do believe there's a letdown to an extent. You get this massive... And then all of a sudden, everything just goes that? quiet. Do that again. And then it just goes quiet. Yeah. When they drop the clutch... Yeah, they disappear for two minutes. Yeah. Exactly. But, yeah, yeah. yeah a bit of a letdown from that. But anyway, they're three of the media centres that I've watched from. I've got to say you're lucky with the 2011 Grand Prix because I stood in the exact same spot in 2018 for the F1 race start. Yeah. And it was the biggest anticlimax that's ever happened in the history of motorsport because these current hybrid things, they don't, don't, make, any and don't, don't make any revital bashing yeah, at the start. It's just underwhelming. like, mm. and we're racing now and they go very quickly away, but you don't really sense or feel it. So you got lucky with that one. To mm. add to that story, I've been in a situation, it might have even been around 2017, 18. It must have been 2018, it could have been 19, where I was standing at gate one for a period of 30 minutes talking to someone and missed half of qualifying and didn't even know it was on. 
Yeah, well, and gate uh, one is literally only what five hundred meters from the track. Yeah, off well, Canterbury Road there. Yeah. When was the first year of the hybrids? Was it fourteen? Twenty fourteen. Because I remember I took a journo because we were racing in Tasmania the week after, and I thought, yeah, this will be all right. Well, we'll go and mosey up to the good spot after turns eleven and twelve, and we'll have a couple beers during the Grand Prix, and you know it'll be good fun, and I'll I'll liquor him up, and we'll get some stories in the newspaper next week. Except the problem was it was bloody silent the whole time. I had to carry two hours of conversation. Yeah. No good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with that. Nice. 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 Um, my number two is an entire racetrack and it's Malala. Ooh. Are you allowed to do that? Was yep. that part of it? I thought it was a yeah. section of per- oh, yeah. Richard wrote the rules. So yeah. yeah. yeah that's right. Yep. It's Malala. Malala <laughs> is the best spectator racetrack in Australia. <laughs> Um, coming up to its 60th anniversary, as well. it is coincidentally at the end of the month, and we'll have some content about that on the grid in coming weeks. Um, Malala is a tremendous place to watch racing cars, uh, any kind of racing car, but like sport, I'm thinking sports dance here mm. is sort of the number one thing, I think. But the touring cars were fantastic there as well. But the, the best thing about Malala, aside from the fact that if you're in the right space, you can see the whole track is that Malala is a long straight into a slow corner, into a long straight into a slow corner, into a long straight into a slightly faster, slower corner. So you get this unbelievable concertina the whole way around the lap, and that it just makes for really good viewing. And there's no racetrack I've been to that makes it easier to understand a race. If there's no commentary or you can't hear it, just to follow it as a spectator point of view, it's like watching an oval race because it's all there in front of you. You sit up in one of those grandstands at turn one, in the pit straight paddock grandstands as they were. Um, and it, it's just a really, really good spectator yeah. venue. Now I did my motor racing apprenticeship out there um, as a, a junior journo. And I watched as a fan, as a kid would go out there and um, many great meetings, both touring cars Super touring events out there were fantastic. Super trucks, you see 15,000 people to a super truck round out there. Um, they were really, really good spectator events. Just great viewing. You can see the whole thing. Everything's really close and condensed. As, as a venue, it's awesome. But if I had to whittle it down, it'd be sitting on those turn one, two grandstands. Turn one's a great corner. Lots of bumps. Turn two, long loaded. Lots of passing, overtaking. And you can see the whole joint. So... I, I, for purely for sentimental reasons, I doubt many people other than South Australians will agree with me, and I don't care. Um, Malalar is just an awesome place to watch racing cars. So the whole venue, but if I have to section it down a little bit, turn one, turn two, brilliant, brilliant place to watch a car race unfold. In uh, difference to you, I'm going number two, Adelaide International. Oh. No, I'm not. Absolutely not. No. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> Bloody hell. Let, Just let, let me pick myself up off the floor. <laughs> the, uh, to, to be fair, it's a bloody good place to watch yeah, car. Oh, well, it was anyway. The bowl was amazing. The speedway. Well, like, like you, I grew up at Lakeside. So yeah. that's uh, always been pretty special to me, you know. Yeah. But you take your pick. It's, it's like Bathurst, but it's a mile and a half long. It's got consequences. The cars are skanked up and picking up wheels and sideways and attitude and under load and the whole way around. You know, you can take your pick go. The carousel tightens up and you're in the way out. Like, that's a rad corner. Then you come down under the bridge. And, and the bit that gets you there as you're going through there at speed is the, the little shelf after the bridge where the whole world just falls out from underneath you. Mm. Uh, you don't 
understand, you look at the TV and go, oh, that's cool. But when you're in a car going quickly, it, it's like the world explodes underneath you. Hungry, up the Eastern Loop. They're all sensational. But if I had to narrow it down to one, I'm going to go the kink, the big left-hand flat knacker kink in the main straight just past the control tower. Um, it's changed now. It's probably not as good as it used to be. They've widened it up for safety's sake. But back in the day, it was a, a two-lane goat track through there. And, you know, you used to have the rocks on the inside and, you know, you look at the old classic video of Dickie Johnson and Peter Brock racing through there and Dickie just jamming it in the rocks to try and hold a radiator on Brocky and all this sort of caper. Sensational. Feel the memories there. The second time that I've went to Lakeside was 1989 Touring Car Championship round. Uh, my auntie worked for Palmer Tube Mills, who sponsored Dickie Johnson back in the day. And we set up camp just at the kink there. Um, production car race in the morning in the classic touring car crashes, it's all through the highlights that these production cars uh, smashed up all the Armco exiting the carousel and the marshals wound up on the track and it was just absolute carnage. And that happened directly above us from our vantage point there at the kink. And I remember the bang and turned around, you see this car doing a pirouette through the air and, and very quickly the, the officials got, oh, there's fuel, fuel, evacuate, run away, run away. So everyone just bolted out of there because you know we all thought we were going to die <laughs> but i had my silk green dickie johnson 17 flag pegged to the fence there and we just abandoned ship and never picked it up later in that day there was a formula ford race and old mate had a barrier after the finish barrel rolled it up the earth bank there at the kink and on the classic touring car crashes highlights dvd he's seen running up the hill standing next to my flag <laughs> so it's forever on the dvd that the flag's going to live on even though we end up in a bin the, the week after the touring car championship round uh another one uh was about 1999 um it was just a saturday practice session and you just do what you like you just turn up there and hold my camera and yeah you stand where if you like mate and for, for whatever reason i walked along the concrete wall at the bottom on the inside of the, the kink, uh, like the, the run down to the carousel. Like on the left-hand side, there was tile wall. On the right-hand side, there was just a concrete wall and you could just sort of walk along there. Oh, yeah, this is cool, something a bit different. And Wayne Wakefield was there testing out Tony Isracena's RX-7. It was a brand-new car. He trundled it out of the pits. So I'll, I'll wait here and get a photo of Wayne the next time he comes through. The first lap of this brand-new car, I don't know what Tony paid for it, but he's absolutely on the bump stops, on the lock stops, coming through the kink in the dirt, coming straight for me. And somehow he's just, he never lifted and he's driven out of it and wound up back on the racetrack. And I learned to run very quick and I hid for the rest of the day. And then the next one, the, the final one that I've really got for the kink at Lakeside was the 2001 uh, Development Series race there. It was Dave Bernard's first run in the uh, Stone Brothers el back in the day and mm. when i was there in the graphic skills vs and those two galoots they tried to absolutely <laughs> kill each other i was standing in the media center which is now i guess the driver briefing room uh down beside the control tower there and i was standing in the doorway and these two are just banging wheels coming down the main straight side by side through the kink and i stepped back inside it was the most frightening <laughs> thing i've ever seen in my life because th those two did not care if they killed each other so yeah Number two, the kink at Lakeside. Beautiful stuff. Number one's coming your way. Mine are, I've loved and enjoy watching motor racing from pit lanes. And there's a couple that uh, particularly come to mind. I've been fortunate enough to 
watch them from most supercar pit lane areas. I've watched them from Abu Dhabi uh, F1 racetrack pit lane. I've been there. Uh, Bahrain, I've also uh, seen Melbourne. But the two that stand out for me, and because I, I had the access to make them stand out, one was the pit lane of an NASCAR event 2010. I think it was the Shelby American at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. And Marcus Ambrose uh, was racing and watching his and his team at pit stop time and watching the race from the corporate box in the stands at that track was uh, amazing as well. So the other one, obviously, pit lane at the Indy 500. We were there for the 100th race. Were you aware of that? Yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> just amazing to be within arm's length of these cars as they do fuel and tyres and to see the action unfolding right in front of your eyes. And what's amazing is that unlike a Formula One racetrack and even to an extent now supercars, there's still so much dependency on everyone getting things right. Mm. With with Formula One, two seconds, you're in and out and off you go. With supercars, they're on air jacks. The cars go up, the cars come down. But you've got blokes pumping up jacks to get cars up. You've got wheels, you've got fuel. Just amazing to watch the teamwork that has to happen to get a pit stop right in NASCAR or IndyCar and uh, to be right there and, and watching that stick in my mind for a long time. Mm. Mm, I like it. Uh, part of me wonders if NASCAR's losing something by going to a center lock wheel for the next iteration of car. It's probably long overdue, but the five stud thing, it, it's there's still an appeal to that, the old the old school. Um, very nice. like that. My number one is uh, interesting because I've only ever experienced it in the, uh, what, 12 years it's happened, 13. Um, I've only ever experienced it from one position, and that is a small, either too cold or too hot room uh, located next to the media centre at Mount Panorama. And I've never seen it from anywhere else except that little commentary box. Um, but it's the start of the Bathurst 12 hour, uh, which is my favorite car race. And so much so I wrote a book at it and please head to the v8sleuth.com.au slash bookshop and get your copy of Father's Day coming up. which is now on sale by the way, Shebex, just in time for Father's Day. Yeah. Get your copy. I think it's down from hundred bucks to 75 and Jeez, they'll discount it already. Hell, Noon and I sent you and they might look after you. I can't back that up. Please don't do that. Um, but seriously, the, the start of the 12 hour is utterly special. And, and I'm privileged to watch it every year from the commentary box uh, or have been in the past. And it, it's just an utterly special moment in the sport. And, and it will forever stick with me in 2014. Um, we had an amazing race in 2013. In 2014 was the year when things went big. Mm. And I remember sitting in there and we were just about to go on air um, just at, at 5.30 a.m., just before the start of the race at 5.45. And I got a nudge from my co-commentators and pointed across to Panorama Drive, which you can see in the dark, um, of just this endless trail of headlights of people trying to get in the track. And it was that moment that we knew that the race was developing into something enormous when two years before in 2012, there was barely a soul around to see Al Simonson going crazy doing lap records. The joint was empty. Um, two years later, great vibe, great atmosphere. And then the way it unfolds in that first hour, the light builds, the sunrise, um, the noise of the cars, people sort of waking up into the race. It, it's truly special. So for mine, 
sitting there in that commentary box and watching it unfold is great. One day, I don't know how it would work. I'd love to watch it from the top because friends of mine that have been there, photographers that have done it said it's even better from the top of the mountain, watching the sunrise. Um, but for mine, there's no better place to see it from the commentary box and watch it unfold from there. And, and you really feel the atmosphere from the bottom of the mountain. So uh, that's my number one. I, I couldn't nice. think of anything I enjoy more as a fan of motor racing to watch than that first hour of the 12 hour. And as a result, it's that location for mine that, uh, that stands out and makes my number one spot. Uh, good. I like it. I love By it. the books. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've also written a book about my number one. And of course I'm talking about turn three at Queensland Raceway. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a hard lie. Um, my, uh, my favorite racetrack in the world is surface paradise. Um, yeah, Bathurst is great, but fight me, it's surface paradise. Uh, my, my old favorite used to be the first beachside chicane, but that's not a thing anymore, it never will be. Um, second beachside chicane is ridiculous, I think. From a, as a punter, general admission punter, you see the cars, the attitude that they've got there is something that they just don't have anywhere else in the world, it's yep. just ridiculous. And the Monday supercars just handle the curbs so incredibly well, you yep. know, they've got three massive pops there within about 50 meters, and they go on 150 k's an hour or whatever they're doing. It's <laughs> it's sensational, you can't beat that as a, as a punter, but. For mine, it's that turn one chicane. And especially on that exit apex, you can stand right there and the cars are aiming at you at warp factor. They've really opened up the chicane over the years. It used to be really tight, but now it's wide open. And the fast way through there is to hit the wall. Mm. It's ridiculous. Like, what sort of turn is that, that you must hit the wall to be quick? Mm. And you hear the cars hit the wall. They're right there. It's it's literally 10 centimetres away from you. You hear them hit it. And, Thank you know, that's what... 12 tyres. Well, yeah. But, uh, you know, Scott McLaughlin smashed in there and he got it wrong. Like, he hit the wall too far down and he wound up launching bits onto one of the balconies. It was ridiculous. You know, the last time we were there, 2019, remember SVG and a few of the other drivers went down there and practice yeah. and stood there in that spot and they blew out. That is just so ridiculous. They're used to going through that in the car and, it's nothing special, but when you stand there, you can feel the wind off the cars. It's just something that doesn't really compute. Um, a, a few of the highlights for mine, 2003 IndyCar race, it was a sketchy race. There was a lot of carnage and a lot of it happened near me. And I was really a bit over the whole having IndyCars launch at me. So for one of the late restarts, instead of standing with that head on shot as the cars come to you, over the over the ripple strips, I thought I'd go around the back of the corner, so sort of the, the entry to the corner, and shoot the cars back as they go away from you. Except Bruno Junquera came down, got fed a wheel, went into the wall opposite me. The wheel flung off it yeah. and cleaned up the wall exactly where I was standing. Got the catch fence in the wall, so like absolutely should have killed me. I don't know how I didn't really die there, but you, you go back and watch the video. And, you know, it's 25 frames a second. There's no frames between the tyre being on his car in the fence over here and the tyre being hard up against the wall where I was standing. So that was sketchy. I, I gave up photography and took up drinking that day. Um, start of 2018. Uh, you know, you just got to act important sometimes. 
when you just walk into the hotel that you're not supposed to be in, you just have to make it look like you're supposed to be there. And I went up to the roof of the Rhapsody Hotel and security were there. And it's like, who are you? It's like, I'm the official photographer. Oh, I guess that checks out then. Righto, mate. Off you go. So it was up in the tall building just on top of the first chicane. And that was the day that the big thunderstorm was coming in. And to get the photos, you had to hang over this aluminium balustrade around the top of the, of the glass panelling sort of thing. And you could feel the static. It was intense. Like each lap you'd go over, hang the camera over the top of this railing to get the photo down on the first chicane. And by the end, I got electrocuted just from the static coming up through this skyscraper that was about to get struck by lightning. So I rigged out pretty significantly there. And the last one was in 2019 on the Friday practice uh, down the first came there was a, a water something exploded. It, it happened earlier in the day, but it really exploded big time during the V8 practice session. And it was just at the exit off the chicane there. So Richie Stanaway went through it, hit the water and hit the fence, and then everyone else went through it. And Yeah, it was all on the tyres, wasn't it? It built up. No, the- no, 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 no. It was a, there was a water pipe exploded oh, okay. right next to the track. And I'm sitting there, I've noticed it, that these guys are having huge barriers, and I've got all the photos. And after a bit, I've gone, oh, this is not good. So I started yelling out to the marshals who hadn't figured it out yet. It's like, we need some yellow flags and debris flags and all that. I kept taking the photos of everyone trying to crash. But... Uh, yeah, that was pretty special. So for mine, turn one, surface paradise. Love it. Great work, boys. Next week, we were going to have our top five near-death experiences at uh, <laughs> racetracks. But Mark's oh, he's ruined that now. Yeah. <laughs> I've someone else. I haven't had one. Riding with Dirk Kleinsmith in a Porsche at Simmons yeah. Plains. Hey, just a there. rental car with Dirk would be well, enough. Yeah, yeah, there heading heading to Bathurst one morning when a kangaroo nearly collected us yeah. at five in the morning. That was what a ab- ripper. What about a head-on with Dirk on the Thunderdome? Yeah, that's a thing. Me running you over on the Thunder. We could actually do our top five Dirk Clint Smith moments. (laughs) That'd take up an hour. Get him on on the show, but that's that's a (laughs) pathway to a lawsuit. (laughs) Hey, boys, well done. Fantastic. We would love to hear your thoughts, folks, on uh, what we've put together and what you may have in your head as well. Hook us up on our socials at theracetalk.com. Yep, do that. Get involved. We'd love your feedback uh, last week, and we'd love it again this week. And uh, if you would like to do us a favor and save us from a rushed conversation three hours before we record a podcast and suggest what top five you'd like us to cover next week, please, by all means, yes, please help do. us out and suggest one. Uh, can it be top uh, Indy 500s we've attended? That would just make it a lot easier Could for be. Yeah. two-thirds of us. Yeah. Yep. yep. Yeah, okay. I, I still think there's a, um, there's a post-race drinking venues Oh, 100%. Top five. Can we do that? Yeah. I, I remember drinking back yeah. in the day. <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> we did think... the best tallest, didn't we? Yeah, that, no, was, that a was a story. Yeah, that actually did yeah, very okay. well. So, um, yeah, we could we could pick that up. But I think drinking venues, we'll, we'll fight that for now, and yeah. uh, we'll see how we go. No, nice work, good list, and I don't think we had any doubles up there at all. No, we didn't at all. 15 different uh, venues there. Hey, guys, uh, thanks for joining us, and thank you for joining us as well right here on The Grid.